All right, we're continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Today we're doing chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. But let's now uh, begin in a word of prayer. Father, again, we thank you that we can approach your word, uh, that we have your word, and that we can understand it, that it's very clear in what it's communicating. Help us to apply it uh, to our daily lives in in a a way that is not pharisaical, but rather uh, in the way that Jesus has taught us to apply it. That is, in every direction, in every aspect of our lives, that you may rule over all of us and not just some of us, that you might be the Lord and King um, over our entire lives and not just part of our lives. Lord, I, I thank you for your love for us in sending your son to not only die on the cross and raise from the dead, uh, surely he came to do that, but he did not just come uh, down from heaven and die. He also gave us teaching. He also instructed us as our king, and I pray that we pay careful attention to what he says, for we know that what he speaks is your will, and we need to conform our lives to it in every way. Father, I pray that you would be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and read the passage, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Be careful not to display your righteousness nearly to be seen by people. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Thus, whenever you do charitable giving, do not blow a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on streets, so that people will praise them. I tell you the truth, they have their reward. But when you do your giving, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your gift may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray while standing in synagogues and on street corners, so that people can see them. Truly I say to you that they have their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do do not babble repetitiously like the Gentiles, because they think that by their many words they will be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that knows what you need before you ask him. So pray this way, Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts, as we ourselves have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, your your Father will not forgive you your sins. When you fast, do not look sullen like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so that people will see them fasting. I tell you the truth, they have their reward. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others when you are fasting, but only to your Father who is in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Okay, and so uh, as we see in uh, the the uh, throughout the chapter or throughout the section, you've got this um, structure of the text to where each each of these uh, elements has two different phrases to it. So the first phrase that's common among all of them is. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. And the second one, of course, is, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so you have this contrast in both of them in terms of who, who is giving the reward and who's, uh, who's looking for a particular reward. In the first case, you have the hypocrites who are looking for the reward in some, something other than God. Uh, something other than in God's pleasure. And so uh, the, Jesus says, you don't have an additional reward with the Father. You've got your reward in full. And then you've got the second phrase, of course, that those who actually seek the reward from God, they actually seek his pleasure, they'll receive his reward. And it'll be done secretly, not in front of other people. It won't be in a way that people will be able to say, oh, God has honored that person, therefore we should honor them. And so it looks very different than the religion of the hypocrites. 
And so in saying to them, beware of practicing your righteousness before other men in order to be seen by them, in order to be acknowledged by them, uh, for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, you know, in the, the first one, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not your left, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will, will reward you. Of course, in the second one is, is the same. When you, you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, shut your door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who is in secret will reward you. Um, so I want you to notice this. This is really important here. These people are doing these things for something else other than God. They're, they're doing it for other men. This is the fakeness of this type of religion. It's, it, and it, it's not that the person knows what they're doing is fake. It's just that uh, their goals are different. Why are they going to church? They're going to church because all their friends are there. Um, why are they going to church? Well, because they, they want to be seen as a good person in the community. You see this throughout history. Um, it could be that the men that you're trying to impress in our day are not only other men, but actually yourself. You want to confirm to yourself that you're a good person. And so you've checked that box. Well, I, you know, I, I give to the poor check. I'm a good person. I, I pray check. I'm a good person. I fast. I mean, I'm even more spiritual than most people because most people don't fast anymore. And so, oh, I, you know, check that one. I'm a good person. And so you're looking to impress yourself. You're looking to confirm that you and you yourself are a good person. In contrast to this, <clears throat> you have the, the people who are not hypocrites who are doing it for the father. And so they're doing it for his pleasure and they will receive from him that reward. <clears throat> now, it is interesting that the word for reward here is the word for wage. And so it really is what you're looking to get out of something. Um, if you've ever had people who do something for you, let's say they give you money or they do something for you, and let's say you forget to say thank you. If that person gets mad because you did not say thank you, um, it's because they were doing it for the thank you. And it, it doesn't matter what they say at that point. If you were doing it for God alone, it wouldn't matter if you got the thank you because that actually isn't, that's not your reward. That's not what you were looking for. But if you get mad, then really you were just looking for a thank you. So you actually have your reward in full, whether you get the thank you or not, because you were doing it for that. You may feel defrauded uh, that you didn't get what you paid for, but you were making kind of a shady deal there anyway, uh, because you acted like you were doing it for God, but in reality, you were doing it to get a reward from the men. Um, likewise, when people, you know, they, they do things for you and they think that somehow that gives them some sort of access to your life or control over your life, or they get now a new voice in your life where they get to talk those people aren't giving to you. They're buying something. They're buying in. They're buying for rights over your life. They're buying for rights to be able to tell you this or that or the other thing. Those people aren't doing it for God either. They have their reward in full. They will receive nothing from the Father because they're giving for that reason. You know, these people who, you know, get on national television, it's like, oh, I'm giving a million dollars to this or that or the other thing. And it's like, okay, well, you have your reward in full. Everybody's going to be like, oh, what a, what a great person for giving. He's so godly. Well, you should have actually shut up about that and given it in secret. But instead, you did it because you wanted to be acknowledged by men. That's your reward. That's what you paid for. And so you got it. You don't have anything left for God to give you. That's it. And so Christ is saying that this is the religion of the hypocrites. Remember, the hypocrites are the Pharisees. This is the religion of the Pharisees. It's being done for the purpose of receiving something other than 
what the Father has for you, that is the pleasure of the Father, the reward that the Father has. Um, it's doing it for for basically the acknowledgement of men to feel good about yourself, to feel like you're a good person, and other people confirm that to us. We get so much of our self-identity not really from the self as much as from other people. And so we look to other people to confirm that we're good people. This is why we're so swayed by the culture. And we need to be careful of that because wherever the, if the culture doesn't think we're good people, now we don't think we're good people. And this is, this is how easy it is to get culture just to shift and to believe other things and to accept things that before were abominations but now are fine because the culture thinks they're fine. And you'll be viewed as a bad person if you don't think they're fine too. If you don't call good evil and evil good, then you're going to be outcast from the culture and that makes you feel bad and like a bad person. And so it's very easy to conform individuals by a, a, a culture-wide idea where there's, there's virtue put on this idea, whether it has virtue or not. Now, I want you to notice, though, smack dab in the middle of these three things that are mentioned is the Lord's Prayer. And you might say to yourself, why in the world would Matthew put the Lord's Prayer in the middle of this? Why wouldn't he wait and just, you know, do all three and then talk about the Lord's Prayer as a different subject later on, you know, after this? Well, I think the reason why this is done structurally this way is because Matthew is trying to contrast the religion that you see in the Lord's Prayer versus the religion that you're getting from this rabbinical tradition, from this ritualistic mode of religion to where you try to impress men. So I want to read the prayer and I want you to notice the distinction uh, in this prayer. We'll kind of go through it a little bit. He says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the pagans do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need uh, before you ask him. And so notice that there, that the, the religion of the hypocrites is just a religion where you think, again, you're, you're using a lot of words, they're empty um, they're likely not even talking to God. They're, they might be used as some sort of magical incantation even, or some sort of idea, again, that you, you're, you're appeasing the God this way so that you actually can get what you want. We'll talk about this a little bit in a minute. We've talked about it before, this false religion that basically uh, detaches from God rather than treats him personally. But then he says, pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven, our Father... Immediately starting with that, very interesting that Father being contrasted, this personal relationship you have with God where he's your Father. This is an actual relationship then, and not just any relationship, but a familial relationship to where God is your Father and you're treating God as your Father. Uh, may your name be holy, we talked a little bit about this last week or a couple days ago in Exodus, but treating God reverently and holy as you approach him. In other words, you don't treat the air reverently. You don't treat electricity reverently because it's not a person. But you treat God reverently because he's person and a personal being. And therefore, and not just a personal being, but a personal being that you are in relationship with. Um, your kingdom come. Notice it's looking for God's will to be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. May you rule over everything. May your will be done here on earth as it also is done in heaven. So may, may everyone do their, what they're doing for you and not for themselves. And then it turns to ourselves, and yet the source for our sustenance is seen as God. Give us today our daily food. So we're relying on him as our, the personal being that we're talking to and asking him to give us our food, to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, to lead us not into temptation, and to deliver us from evil. 
And it might be the evil one, depending on how you take the, uh, the word there. The point of this is ultimately to say the religion of God, the religion that Jesus is teaching, is sourced in a personal relationship with God to where you love God more than anything else, and everything you do, either morally or ritually, because it mentions you know forgiving people as as uh, we forget you know as as God will forgive us as, and all that. Um, everything you do, morally or ritually, flows from this relationship. And in that regard, you're not a hypocrite. The reason why Jesus calls them hypocritai, hypocrites is not because they say one thing and do another, although they, they do that, and he'll talk about that later in the gospel. But in reality, the, the word means actor. The word means that you are you, you look like something on the outside that you're not on the inside. You look like you have a relationship with God because you're giving to the poor. You look like you have a relationship with God because you're praying. You look like you have a relationship with God because you're fasting, but there is no relationship with God. You're not doing that because you have a relationship with God. You're doing that because you want men to think that you're good and you want to confirm to yourself that you're a good person because it makes you feel good. And being a bad person makes you feel bad. And so the, the religion of the hypocrite is the religion of the self. And it's being contrasted with a religion that actually worships God as God and seeks God's pleasure among or above self-pleasure. <clears throat> and it asks to be sustained within this religion so you can worship God so that his will is done and his kingdom comes and he rules over us. And then within that kingdom, he provides for us so that we look for our provision from him and we look for, for our reward from him. As opposed to the religion of self that simply has its reward in exalting the self, making the self feel good, and using ritual to do it. Now, I, I want you to notice this then. Um, the contrast is simply uh, a religion where men ultimately get to do whatever they want because they're throwing God a bone. At least in their minds, they think they are. They, again, this is, this is very prevalent in the religion of the ancient world and really all religions to where religion is set up to placate the gods in some way through ritual so that we can then go live how we want. And um, that's essentially what I think is being done. And that's why I think you have like a, a, a multiplication of the words used for prayer. Because, oh, well, this prayer is really spiritual and God will really like this one. And, uh, hey, everybody, I'm, I'm, you know, look, I'm giving to the poor and you get this reward from men. But there, it's very clear that none of these people think, oh, I'm just doing this for men. All of them, I guarantee, think God's going to be impressed with this. Because men are impressed with it, so God will be impressed with it. So it's not just if in the religion of um, trying to impress people, um, you're just trying to impress people. In that self-governed self, uh, or self-directed uh, religion, you're ultimately trying to impress people and God. You want God's favor by impressing people. So that people become kind of the measuring stick for whether or not God is impressed as well. And then you can go on your daily business and do exactly what you were going to do had you not worshipped God at all. And so why give to the poor? Is it because you love God? You're giving to Jesus Christ, your king, and you love him? Not because you're trying to somehow escape what he's commanded you to do or replace what he's commanded you to do with giving, but because you actually love him and you love his people and you want them taken care of? Or are you giving because you want to placate God so that he gets out of your life? That's the religion of the hypocrites. 
The religion of the hypocrites is down deep. They have a conscience given to them to where they know they're not obeying God morally in some aspect, and they need to make up for it. And so they need to be made, they need to feel like they're okay, but they don't repent. Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to go to church. Because going to church is a good thing. God will like it. People will see me. God will, or other people will affirm that I'm okay with God. Even though I'm living a life that's not okay with God. And if I pray prayers, then I'm good. I mean, this is, this is one of the problems of uh, praying the prayer, right? Thinking you're a Christian because you prayed the prayer. And going to, you know, youth camps and going to concerts. And it's like, oh, well, I went up and I, I received Jesus as Lord. And it's like, okay, well, look, if that was your first time in praying to Christ and accepting him as Lord, uh, whatever, fine. Here's the problem, though. Your real first time in accepting Jesus as Lord is when Jesus commands you to do something that you don't want to do, but you submit to him because you love God the Father and you love him and you submit to him anyway then. That's actually really the first time you're submitting to him as Lord. That's really the first time you're accepting him as Lord. Not when you pray to prayer, oh Jesus, I accept you as my Lord. The people at Mount Sinai, that's what they do. We will do all that Yahweh has commanded us. And then like two seconds later, they're building a golden calf. Words are cheap. Who cares what you say? Who cares what you prayed? You're receiving Jesus as Lord for the first time when you submit to him for the first time. And you continue to receive him and and have him as your Lord when you continue to submit to him. And if you don't submit to him and you stop submitting to him when he comes into conflict with what you want to do, he's not your Lord, which is why the end of the sermon ends with Jesus saying, depart from me, I never knew you. Meaning, I never knew you as Lord. You never submit to me. Oh, you don't understand, Jesus, I prayed the prayer and I did this ministry thing and I, you know, I was casting out demons in your name and I was preaching in your name and doing miracles in your name. And that's great. Did you like, you know, um, not commit adultery in my name? Did you change the way you treat women so you don't commit adultery in my name? Did you stop slandering people in my name? Did you start loving the brethren in my name? Did you not care about your material possessions as much in my name? Did you not lie and tell the truth instead in my name? Well, no, but I mean, I cast out demons. And I, I prayed really long prayers on the street. I mean, everybody saw me. Yeah, everybody saw you and thought you were like a really religious, godly person. Congrats. Um, you know the real. You know what the the real hypocrite today is. Look, you would be seen as a fanatic if you did that today. In Jerusalem, in the first century, among religious Jews, that's something you get praise from people for. You don't get praise from people today for that. You know what you get praise from people today for? Uh, you 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 get praise from people by putting BLM on your Facebook post. Oh, what what a good loving person! You're so loving. Or, you know, transgenders are people too, which is like, yeah, well, everybody acknowledged their people. No one ever said otherwise. But that sort of thing to where you adopt, you put a rainbow on your, on your Facebook post or, or you, you, uh, you tell, you know, what, how woke you are and you're into critical race theory and all that stuff. All that stuff that in reality is immoral, unjust, and undermines the Bible, but it draws praise from men. That's, what, that's the religion of the hypocrites. You want to see a modern-day Pharisee? The, the irony of the whole thing is that they're the people who are, seem the most accepting by the culture. They seem like they're the most loving. It's interesting how we have flipped that idea of the Pharisee on its head. The Pharisee is the one that's looking for acknowledgement by the culture and by even the religious culture that isn't obeying God. Jesus is the one saying, uh, no, no, you're going to actually restrict yourself. 
Jesus looks like the guy who's coming with the law. In fact, he's the one saying, look, I didn't come to get rid of the law. In fact, you've heard this this loose interpretation of the law. Here's my strict interpretation of the law that expands it. We have turned Jesus into the Pharisee and the Pharisees into Jesus. And we have called good evil and evil good. We have called Jesus Satan just like they did. But we don't use the word Satan when we talk about him, and we certainly don't think we're talking about Jesus. We just call him a Pharisee. And we call Christians who look like him and speak his words Pharisees. And yet they're the true followers of Christ, speaking his words and seeking to do them because they love him, because they have a relationship with the Father. And the true Pharisees are the people who are doing it for human acknowledgement. They're religious, and they're saying what they say and doing what they do so that other men see them and say, oh, you're so loving. You're so caring. How tolerant and caring of you. That's what Jesus is like. Jesus would love you. And they're getting all of their worth and all of their justification for who they are as a good person from other people saying this to them. All the while, they're likely going to hell because they're hypocrites. It's not coming from a relationship with God. They're like, it's not coming from uh, Christ being their Lord. Uh, they're actually, a lot of these people are living in sin. They don't want to obey the morals. They don't, and if they, they themselves are okay with obeying the moral principles, uh, they're not okay with condemning others for not obeying them. You know, I posted a, a meme, I forget, one of you guys shared it this week or whatever, which talked about that, you know, how it's worse to condemn evil than to do evil. You can do all the evil you want, but don't condemn it. Because then, you know, the, the culture hates your guts. So the phrase, our father, beginning this prayer, it's in contrast with this uh, religion and these rituals that are in the context of self-worship. Um. It's to have God as your father. This family relationship falls flat on us because we don't quite get, you know, we don't have fathers that are quite like this. But, but to the world before us, the father is due all honor, given all authority, and is assumed to care for his children and wants the best for them. And therefore, they're looking for his pleasure. They're looking for what he wants which is why the prayer says that. May your name be holy. We we revere you as our father and approach you in that manner. And may your will be done. May your kingdom, your rule, your dominion come. Not ours. I pray that you come and and, and what you want done on earth, that's, that's done. So that meaning, in other words, not just, oh yeah, may those pagans one day uh, follow you, God. No, it's a prayer that's saying, God, may I follow you in everything. Because I know there's aspects in my life that, that where I don't. May I be in submission to you, Lord. Submit me. Bring, bring to light anything where I might not be following you. Submit me to you. That's how God starts to rule the world. That's how the kingdom comes. That small mustard seed that then grows into a tree and takes over the whole of your being, the whole of your life. The relationship of father and his children is displayed in the love of the father for the prodigal son, for instance. The acknowledgement of God as our father is to acknowledge a loving relationship exists between the disciple of Christ and God that is filled with honor and obedience. And so we don't replace obedience with rituals. We don't replace obedience with BLM, which frankly, all those things are even contrary. But we don't replace obedience with things that might be more benign. Like I don't go and light candles at a church and ironically use the Lord's Prayer, our Father, as a way to kind of dismiss my sin. So that don't worry, I can do anything I want because I'll just get it washed away. I'll just go into church, get it washed away by saying, Ten our fathers, and then I'll be out doing the same thing. But 
But Pharisaic religion, in contrast to the religion of the Father, is false religion. It's not about the fruit of such a relationship. The the things in your life are not stemming forth from a relationship with God. That's why Christ later on will say, you Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs. Tombs that are all cleaned up and they're they're just they're they're white and nice and shiny, but you have dead corpses inside. You're liars. You have no relationship with God. You're not the people of the Beatitudes to where you have been transformed and therefore you have fruit that comes forth from a relationship with God. That's why John says to the Pharisees at the very beginning, if you are the sons of Abraham, do the fruit that is consistent with repentance. But they're not. And so they don't have that fruit and they have to replace it with ritual instead. So instead of that relationship, because the religion of the Pharisees had taken on the same facade of the pagan Greco-Roman religions where the gods are merely placated so that they will leave the people alone to live how they want, prayer, giving to the poor, and fasting, that is the rituals that would have meaning in the framework of a vibrant familial relationship with God as father, are now used to keep God at a distance from one's life. This is why so many Christians today think that giving their lives to Christ is done by praying a prayer, praying daily, giving to the poor, and going to church, rather than giving over to God every part of their lives. Oh, well, yeah, no, I worship God because I go to church every week and I, you know, I pray prayers and I sing songs and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm giving to the poor. That's all that I really need to do. No, you you need to actually give your whole life over. What do your relationships look like? Uh, Your friendships, are they centered around God? Is our fellowship centered around games? Is it centered around fishing? Is it centered around our work? No, biblical fellowship is centered around the word of God and it exalts God in the conversation. If it doesn't, you're not fellowshipping and you're practicing instead something far worse the religion of the self you're exalting yourself in there that's human fellowship that's self-exalting fellowship because god's removed from it we are we are simultaneously practicing this religion even in the church that is both a religion of god that honors god and a religion of the self. And once again, we're trying to syncretize them together. And yet, so many of us, because we're doing that, because we're, we're even <clears throat> communicating to people a, a dual religion, they're going to pick one, sometimes this one, which is of self, and sometimes this one, which is of God, and confuse them all the more. In reality, what's happening is that they're, they're using this one in, in uh, uh, parts of their life they don't want to give over to God. What Jesus has just said in the Sermon on the Mount by going through those antitheses is radical. And most people are not going to accept it. Most Christians are not going to accept it. And if they do accept it, they're going to do what the Pharisees did with the original law. They're going to limit what Jesus said as much as possible. When in fact, the religion of Jesus is now take what I say and expand it like a giant mustard tree into your whole life in every which way it can go, as far as it can go, push it all the way because that's God ruling over you and taking over those areas that you currently rule yourself. And if you don't yield to him those areas, you're a liar. He's not your Lord. You're your Lord. You just gave him certain areas of your life to make yourself feel good because you don't want to go to hell, but not because you love God and because you want to see, be seen by men as a good person. You want that, you want that uh, confirmation from them because in reality, down deep, you know you're keeping this for yourself, just this one little thing or these two little things or these three little things, whatever they may be. 
I don't want to be too radical. You know, let, let's let's have that good old easy evangelical religion where like half of it's just basically American culture. And then we'll just kind of throw the Trinity in there and Jesus died for your sins and virgin birth. And we'll just kind of glaze that over our religious uh, American culture. You know, we've been talking about dating a lot recently versus courtship. And I know I bring that up, but frankly, it's become like a big issue in the church. You're not going to get dating from the Bible. You're not going to get a thing where you emotionally connect to another, uh, another of the opposite sex in a way that you should only emotionally connect to your spouse. And somehow that's going to be biblical. You're not going to get the idea that you can be physical, even on, on a smaller scale. To where, you know, anything you would do uh, when you were married with someone who's not your spouse is not something you should do when you're not married. And yet people try to justify and say, oh, yeah, no, dating's fine. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you can, we'll set boundaries, right? We'll just, you know, you can just go this far and not that far. And it's like, boundaries? No. Um, it's radical, I realize, to actually submit all of your life and to question and to realize, you know what? It's probably the case that things that we have adopted that we didn't get from the Bible, from our culture, are likely satanic if they're not some, some neutral thing. We're not talking about food. We're not talking about the observance of a day or something of that nature. We're talking about how you interact with the opposite sex because at the foundation of God's creation is male and female coming together for the purpose of family. So what would the devil want to do the most? Destroy it before it even forms. How does he do that in our culture? Dating. By you actually having many marriages with people before you actually have a covenant of marriage. So that you give yourself away in pieces to other people. Well, I don't like that. That's very radical. And I'd rather have my more, you know, uh, balanced religion. Yeah, your balanced religion is nothing more than a syncretism of God worship and self-worship put together. That's what the balance is. Jesus is not balanced. Jesus says flat out, yeah, you're committing adultery if basically you do anything at all, even in your thought life, with someone else who is not your spouse. Balance for Jesus is, yeah, don't, don't murder to the extreme of not even speaking a, a degrading word to your brother or slandering in any way. That's not balance. It's radical. It's extreme. But he is the measure, not you, not your culture, not your religious culture, not what everybody else is doing. They're not the measurement. If everybody else is your measurement for what is normal in Christianity— Congratulations, that's the religion of the Pharisees. You're doing what you're doing for other men to be judged in terms of other men and not in terms of what God has said. I don't care what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is doing the religion of the hypocrites. I don't mean everybody else, obviously, but you know what I mean. The vast majority are in this this religion where we're just placating God, where we're just bribing God to stay out of our lives so that we can do what we want. And we're going to give him church and we're going to give him prayer. We'll give him his poor some money and we'll fast maybe. We'll do those things or, or we'll do other things that we think are good. But ultimately, uh, we don't want to give him that aspect of our lives. And so we're, we're wanting him to go away. Uh, Self-worship focuses on the externals of religion, right? Because it's, it's not going to work on inward transformation that comes from a relationship with God. So these rituals then that would have been probably okay in the context of the worship of God, and in fact, they would. I mean, giving to the poor is good, and fasting is good, and, and praying certainly is good. But notice that Christ is like, do it in secret, though, to make sure that you're actually like doing it for God. Now, he doesn't mean it always has to be in secret, but the idea is that make sure whenever you're doing it, it's for God. You can test that by what you do in secret. Because if in secret you're not worshiping God, then you know that your religion is actually for everyone else. 
So even when you go out and you do it outside, you know why you're doing it. If in secret you're really worshiping God, then you know outside of that secret place you're worshiping God as well when you pray. That's kind of more the idea. But people don't do that. People, people find out <clears throat> that the, in secret they're actually doing it for men. And so in this regard, people today would be praying loudly in public but, or would not be praying loudly in public but, but signaling online their support for basically, you know, different movements and things. And that would replace, you know, their religion, their true religion, their transformative religion, where they actually obey Christ in their daily lives. Um, in our day, it's not giving to the poor believers that will get you praise from the culture, but your contribution to social justice pr- propaganda machines. But the point is that whatever draws the cultural praise from wherever the wind of the zeitgeist, that is the spirit of the age, blows... That is where you will find the modern-day Pharisee flaunting his religious garb for all men to see. Likewise, most Christians today will look to prayer in public, going to church, singing songs of praise, giving to the poor as the fruit that proves their devotion to Christ because the religious culture isn't challenging them anymore to give over their entire lives to Christ morally but seems only concerned when they don't fill the seats in their buildings in order to drop money in the coffer. Hence, there is no conviction to give one's, uh, uh, over one's personal life cultivated in tradition over to a biblical culture that would change the ebb and flow of their lives from one that is anthropocentric in worship to a theocentric one. The chapter then, uh, this chapter uh, in Matthew 6 then echoes the later proclamation of Christ that what would be sought above all else is God's kingdom rule over all of our lives, which is a whole and complete righteousness. Remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God, the dominion of God, and his righteousness, not his rituals. And that unless we die to self, which is what this is. When you hold on to something, you give God everything that you don't really care about, but you hold on to that thing that you want to keep. You are not dying to the self, and Christ calls you, unless you die to the self, take up your cross and follow him. You cannot be his disciple. God simply does not accept Pharisaic worship which is nothing more than our attempt to partially worship God for the sake of maintaining our own self-worship. We've divided the spoils of our lives and given God his small cut to hopefully appease him. And now we'll enjoy the larger portion of it, but when it comes to worship, God's cut is the whole of your life. Every single thing that you think, every single thing that you speak, And every single thing that you do, you belong to him, whole and not in part. And by keeping back a portion of yourself, you have robbed God of what belongs to him. We are not meant to be the worshipers of ourselves. We have an infinite hole in us that only God as our father can fill And if he is not there, we will consume the world of relationships, possessions, drugs, food, activities, and even religion, all sorts of flavors of religion, and still be starving afterward. Because they are not meant to fill us and we were not meant to worship ourselves with these things. And unfortunately, we have been duped into thinking, I don't want to give this up because I need it. I need it to be filled. And you are a fool. This will never fill that infinite hole in you. Only God can fill that. And only the worship, the true worship of God can fill that. Let it go.
Now, as just a final note, I want to say uh, something that we kind of commented on before. The religion of the Pharisees is asking the question, how far can I get away from the center where God is? If you think of everything as a giant circle of what is considered righteous, what is considered okay, and then in the middle of that is a relationship with God, which is full obedience, where your life looks like it's fully conformed to the image of Christ, just just in every aspect, it's right there in the center. And everything, you know, as further away you get from that, it's still okay. And then there's a boundary, there's a border. The religion of the Pharisees is, how far can I get out toward from God, toward the border, without going to hell? And still being okay with God. Before I fall into the judgment of God, how far away can I get? Can you imagine John who sat back on Christ like a child uh, leaning back on his father while he was eating, asking, you know what, Jesus, I don't really like this relationship with you. How far away can I get from you before you'll you know, kind of not have a relationship with, with me and be angry and I'll fall under your judgment? Does that sound like love to you? Or does it sound like duty in the service of self to where you just need to give God what he wants so you can go off and live how you want? The religion of Christ, however, asks, how close can I get to the bosom of the father? How much can I become like his son in obedience and love? How much can I respect him in the way that I have a relationship with someone else? How much can I love him in giving to the poor? How much can I love him in obeying his commandments? How far can I expand them so that I can love him in every part of my life and not just in certain parts? This is the contrast then in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount that says, look, the source of where you're getting your religion is really important. If you are getting it from a relationship with God the Father, where you are seeking to please him, you are dying to the self, giving your life over to him, then the source of your religion is good and therefore It'll, it'll have fruit that is good. But if the source of your religion is self and the exaltation of self, looking toward other people to build up the self, looking only to do rituals uh, that keep God at bay, looking only to give over certain things to God, because ultimately you want to be religious, but not fanatical, then ultimately your source is wicked. Your source is dead and you're going to bring forth rotten fruit. And you're going to need to replace that rotten fruit with something that looks nice and shiny. So you're going to want to go to church and pray a lot and sing songs and do all that sort of thing. And again, all of that is stuff you should do in the context of a relationship with God. But the problem is, is that Jesus is saying, but there's a lot of people who don't do it in that context. That's not the reason why they're going to church. It's not to love God. It's not to worship him. They're not praying for that reason. They're not giving to the poor for that reason. They're doing it for themselves to, for, because they have rotten fruit. And they need you to comfort them because they know that rotten fruit means they're, they're damned. And rather than repent, they'd rather replace it by some sort of religious stuff so that you say, oh man, you're a good person. You make them feel better that way. And so they don't think they're judged anymore. They don't think they're damned anymore. Because I mean, look at all this money they gave to BLM or whatever it might be. This is a contrast between the religion of the hypocrite, the religion of the Pharisees, the religion of the actor who doesn't really have a relationship with God versus true religion, which is, is founded on love for God and love for his people. I pray that as we look at this text, we understand these two different religions can never meet in the middle. 
They never can balance each other out. One will take over the other. Because, uh, and you'll deceive yourself into thinking that, well, I've given God 99% of my life. When in fact, the 99% is consistent with what God said anyway. It's that 1% that's not, that you don't want to give him. That's the, that's the 1% that's going to show whether he's your Lord or you're your own King and Lord and God. And if that's true, then he's not your Savior either. You're your own Savior. Good luck on that. He, he is worthy to be worshipped by you. You are not worthy. You are a wicked person. Throughout Matthew, we see that he calls even his disciples evil people. If you being evil give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father will give good gifts to you? He's talking to his disciples. You're evil. You're not worthy. You're not a good object of worship. If, if something worships you, it will die. If you worship you, you will die. God is the source of all life. God is worthy. He is life itself. Anyone who worships God will live. And he'll bear good fruit. And that's Matthew's point. Of course, that's Christ's point through Matthew. I pray that as we look at this passage today, we really become introspective in terms of understanding and evaluating what am I doing this stuff for? Am I really worshiping God? Or have I constructed a life to where I fool myself into thinking I'm worshiping God, but in reality, I've saved little bits and pieces for me because I don't love God. I love myself more. Let us now repent of any, any remnant of the religion of the self and come to the religion of Jesus Christ, our King. Let us submit to it in love because God, in fact, is worthy to be worshiped. May he be considered holy, our holy father, revered as our holy father. May his will be done. May his kingdom come. And may we draw all things that we need to worship him from him and exalt him in every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for all that you've given us in your word. This is a sobering reminder that we can think that we are living a, a religious life and yet uh, be living a pagan life where we are exalting ourselves, a hedonistic life that has nothing to do with love of you. Father, I pray that you convict us in every aspect of our lives that we're not living in accordance with your word. And I don't just mean in accordance with your word as the Pharisees would see it, restricting it to I'm only, uh, I'm only obligated to obey it insofar as this and that and the other thing, but not here. I pray that we would view it as Jesus teaches us to view it, that whatever you have spoken, may it now apply, be stretched out in every which way, growing and filling like leaven, taking over the whole lump of dough. That is where your kingdom is in our lives. That is where your rule is in our lives, Lord. Wherever that leaven fills, that's where you rule. And so let us take your word and apply it in every direction. Let us not be stubborn and obstinate and hold back something for ourselves. Let us not argue that these things that are clearly moral are somehow neutral. That is yet another way of us holding on to things we should not and making what is moral into what is ritual when it is not. Oh, Father, we pray that you are glorified today as we hear these words, but not only hear them, but also as the wise builder, we implement them into our lives, we do them, we repent, and we seek to love you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mm -hmm.